Some of you will remember our roving reporter Terry Flanagan's trip to the Natural History Museum a couple of weeks ago. There he met museum curator Paolo Viscardi to discuss one of their most curious exhibits, the almost otherworldly sunfish. This fish is as big as me. Yeah, a little bit bigger, if anything. And they're huge. They are huge. And they get to that size and... You know, these big flat kind of disc-shaped bodies. Uh, they're, they're called sunfish partly because you know, they are big and round, a bit like the sun, but also because they, they bask on their sides. Um, so they, because of the way they swim, with this kind of flapping motion, a bit like a bird, they'll often go just beneath the surface of the water and they look like um, the sun reflected in the water. This impressive specimen was collected in County Donegal before being sent to the famous Dublin taxidermist firm Williams & Son to be stuffed and made into the exhibit you can see in the museum today. But this is not the only place you might see sunfish in Ireland. Uh, One study shows that sightings of the enigmatic creature have greatly increased in recent decades as climate change has seen the range expand in the 1990s and 2000s by more than 200 kilometres north. The study's lead author, Dr Olga Lachevska, is formerly of the Atlantic Technological University in Galway and currently with the East Science Centre in the Netherlands. Hello, Olga. It's a long way from Galway to the Netherlands, they would say. Yeah, so I actually didn't study in Ireland. I came as a postdoc and I stayed for about seven years in Galway. So uh, I was based at uh, Marine and Freshwater Research Centre where I was helping my colleagues with uh, statistical and modelling problems of the marine data. So this is how I came to work with uh, soundfish data as a part of the, you know, one of the many projects I was leading there. Now, Ken mentioned there jellyfish, that the sunfish are perhaps following the jellyfish that come into our waters because the waters are warming up. What did you find? Uh, Okay, so we did look at uh, food availability uh, and what we found out that jellyfish is increasing indeed, but spikes in jellyfish increase uh, happened later, like about 10 to 15 years later, uh, you know, after soundfish increase. We do know that soundfish uh, feed on jellyfish, but we didn't find that evidence, direct evidence, direct links that it is linked to food availability. I'm uh, very involved with looking at uh, the movements of salmon at sea. And we're very, very interested in some of the changes we're seeing in terms of the plankton, particularly around May, June time. So what are the other trends that you're seeing in terms of that food availability and in terms of the food species that the sunfish might might actually be favouring? Uh, so, yeah, so we also looked at uh, plankton, uh, like phytoplankton colour indices. So it basically tells us um, like how green is the water or how much uh, phytoplankton is in the water. And we did find uh, evidence that soundfish detection does correlate with availability of phytoplankton in the water. So it does uh, it, it suggest that there is some uh, relationship uh, in between, between soundfish uh, detection and uh, phytoplankton availability in the water. And in terms then of the actual migration of the fish themselves, I'm presuming at this stage I've seen a lot of sunfish in the wild, but I don't know a good deal about them. The implication is that in reality they are not very active in terms of their movements. They're mainly dependent on the currents. So is it the currents that are bringing them towards us or is there an active moving component, if you like, to the increase that you might be seeing in terms of jellyfish? Yeah, we, 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 we don't have any data on currents, but we do have data on uh, sea, sea surface temperature. So what, what we did basically, we calculated, we, we know that soundfish uh, does like a particular range of temperature. 
according to literature, it can be varied, but we looked in particular at about 13 degrees isotherm. So basically, we calculated uh, the movement of isotherm um, in time for the same time period for this 50 years, nearly 50 years of data. And we noticed that um, temperature is shifting by about 200 kilometers. So, for example, where it, it used to be 13 degrees to, to 200, uh, like 50 years ago, it's now 200 kilometers further to the north. So, and we did find correlation, really strong evidence that sunfish detection does correlate with the annual mean position of the 13 degrees isotherm. So it's basically uh, what we are uh, suggesting is that sunfish does uh, prefer this kind of temperature and they move together with the temperature. So they're shifting. That's really interesting because um, we're seeing now that there are quite a number of warm water fish that are beginning to appear in very big numbers off the south coast of Ireland. So some of the mullet, the golden grey mullet and the thin lip mullet and particularly Mediterranean sea bream. And again, it ties in perfectly with what you're saying, that this shift in temperature is moving this whole, if you like, wall of biota is moving north, probably as a result, I presume, of climate change. Absolutely. Like we, we, we are not making those statements because it would be it would, would mean we need more research uh, to be done. But it does have this kind of implications. Yes. So that there are uh, shifts in distribution of species. And uh, you can see it also with other like you mentioned, but also other fish species, which are, you know, also spiking and moving t- towards the north. So. Are those data still being collected? Because obviously, as I say, I have a real interest in this area and we're doing a lot of tracking where we're looking at the movements of various pelagic fish and those temperature trends would be really important to us. So those data are still being carefully followed and collected, I presume, in the context of the lives of the sunfish? Yeah, so uh, this data, uh, as, as far as I know, it is being collected. It is not collected specifically for sunfish. It is a part of a bird monitoring program. And other species, uh, are, like, like information on other species, are collected as well, like, for example, turtles and sharks. So they're part of it. There was a break in the time series. So uh, I think in 2013 and 15, uh, there was no one present uh, to collect data. But so there is like two years or three years gap. But as far as I know, um, you know, data is still being collected. Yes. Olga, it's Niall here. I know that uh, a lot of people find uh, fish quite difficult to identify. We don't see them that often. They're hard to get good views of. But the sunfish would be an exception because it's a very easy fish to identify. As you said, they're absolutely massive, like these big discs in the sea. There's something, when you see them up close, there's something also endearingly gormless looking about them, I think. this is almost comical. Uh, they also don't seem to be terribly manoeuvrable. They don't seem to be able to control themselves so much in the water. Are they themselves prey for a lot of other species or is there big size a defense mechanism there that helps them well as far as i know big size is defense because it's the largest bony fish in the world so i'm, I'm not aware of any you know other interactions with other species which are at the largest size like you know sharks or, or anything like that but as you said they they're easy to spot and they are um, they what, what one of their behavior is just to bask in a you know on the surface that's how people get to see them easily you don't really need to be a trained uh, observer to, to to spot them because uh, because of their size and their, their behavior they're quite you know if they're basking, they're just on the surface floating, basically. 
Olga, this is an intriguing fish, a most bizarre creature. If you were told about it and it was not known, you would dismiss the theory that such a fish exists entirely. Now, does this fish spend all its time basking, a lot of its time basking, or some of its time basking? Is it vertical uh, with respect to the water surface some of the time? Does it swim like a normal fish? Its eyes are on each side. The eyes are not all on one side as they would be with most flatfish. How does it live? Yeah, I do know that there are some studies which suggest, uh, like, they look specifically at some fish and how they behave, how they swim, and I know that they like to swim very much vertically not horizontally like normal fish would do, but going from the surface up to the bottom. Why they do it? Well, again, I would I would suggest uh, you know one of the one, one way of explaining would be they they could be you know chasing prey or for feeding behavior or something. But they yeah they very much uh, swim vertically. It seems odd that temperature should be important. Usually, very big things are well able to withstand fluctuations in temperature, either great drops in temperature or great rises in temperature. Look at the whales, for instance. The bigger a thing is, Bergman's famous rule, the higher up in the latitude it can live. Now, surely the sunfish is not that worried about few degrees temperature either way. Why should that be so definitive in determining the limits of its range? Yeah, so uh, sunfish indeed they do prefer a range of temperature. Uh, from I, 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 like we, as I said, we did look at uh, 13 degrees, but some studies suggest, uh, you know, that it could be from nine to 15 degrees range. So there is no no certain kind of you know knowledge of what exact range they uh, prefer. Um, so, you know, for the purpose of this study, we took uh, the mean uh, value of, you know, range preference as reported in the literature and just we tried to track it uh, to see if we could identify and explain uh, this behavior. And it, as it turned out, it, it, it came out quite uh, significant. So we are quite convinced that it is one of the driving factors uh, along with, um, you know, with, with uh, phytoplankton. And we're not too sure about jellyfish because it happens a little bit after. So we need to look into exact mechanism of uh, because it's not a direct link. It's it can be, you know, influenced indirectly and all different indicators. They are obviously not independent. So that's quite it makes it quite tricky to pinpoint exact mechanism. If you're as big as a sunfish is, it must be very hard to meet the fuel bill. You have to eat a hell of a lot to keep a thing as big as that going. The metabolism must be very expensive, shall we say. What is the advantage then of becoming as huge as that? If you want to catch crustaceans and jellyfish and ordinary fish, the last thing you want to be is enormous. You, you will alert whatever you're trying to catch to your presence anyway. What is going on here? That's a, that's a great question, and I would like to know answer to this question. <laughs> Certainly, Richard, if we think back to your point there, which is a very good one about the whales, if we think at the size of the whales, the baleen whales that actually feed in the plankton and grow to these enormous sizes, there's obviously a correlation between uh, creatures that feed at the bottom of the food chain, if you like, and have access to this enormous free supply of food and their huge growth. So I think maybe that's the, that may be the answer in the sense that if they're um, floating along, and I think they largely do that, I think they're f- floating along, munching away on plankton, munching away then on jellyfish. There's every reason why they should become large because they're not actually actively hunting. Maybe that might be the answer to your question. 
But Ken, plankton increases with cold water. If you want to feed on plankton, move into the colder places. The oxygen levels are higher. There should be more plankton there. Why should a creature that likes plankton limit itself to 13 degrees centigrade or whatever the, the threshold is now? It seems odd. There seems to be a contradiction in that. Again, we'd need to see the variety of food, I think, that they were feeding on. I mean, obviously, they have been feeding on their planktonic species for a long, long time in a zone that they're very comfortable in. I would presume that their food is probably much more complex than the two items we're speaking about. And more than alga, I'm, I'm no expert on sunfish. But my guess would be that in the context of the warming oceans, there may very well be opportunities for them to perhaps find other creatures. What we are seeing on, in the salmon world, which I think is interesting because we're, we're looking at the planktonic changes, the zooplankton, not the actual phytoplankton that Olga mentioned, but the actual animal plankton. We're seeing that the changes may actually result in a situation where you have plankton that are perhaps larger than plankton that was there originally or plankton that may be more nutritious. They also may be less nutritious. But if they're more nutritious or if they're larger, there may also be huge amount of change happening and there may be subtleties within that that are actually favouring the sunfish. Bottom line is, Olga, that these huge sunfish are appearing more frequently in Irish waters. Absolutely, yeah. I've never seen one. Either way, Olga, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. and Thank you so much. Pleasure. I'm just looking at how long they can live. Up to 100 years, it's estimated, in the wild. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Something could live for 100 years. Well, if you have that kind of strategy of just sort of drifting along and eating what comes your way and not expending too much energy, you know... You're I not, do! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't pointing any fingers, but uh, but the fact is, yeah, that, that that's sort of a, a good a good strategy for living long. And especially if you get that large size, you're not vulnerable to predators. And predation would be one of the, the, the leading causes of death for most marine creatures. If you manage to remove that from the equation, then you can live for quite a long time. Mm, what's the longest lived fish, Ken, that you've come across? I mean, um, you're dealing with salmon all the time. Have you yeah, got a long-lived salmon? salmon? actually relatively short-lived. So, uh, I mean, a really ancient salmon where you had a, a, a smolt that was very slow-growing, it might be five going to sea, might be at the most five years at sea. Ten would be absolute complete max. But I'm just thinking not as so much of fish as shellfish when you say that. I'm thinking of these beautiful pearl mussels that we have in Irish rivers. Some of them live for 120 years. Uh, you know, there are creatures out there that do that. What I was fascinated with, though, was the fact that uh, Olga had no record that you could think of of these fish being attacked by sharks because just on the radio the other day I heard a report about guys that were in a catamaran, I think, that were attacked by sharks and I was watching a shark programme recently where the sharks suddenly took a fancy to the engine and the damage they could do to the boat was amazing. You, you would imagine that this big floating creature, they'd have a go at it. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not we get any word back from our listeners in terms of any reports of sharks. Unless they're poisonous. You know the way some birds won't go near those frogs in the rainforest. Perhaps so. The most brightly coloured frogs in the rainforest are the ones to avoid for a reason. Or they might be really horrible. They might be really horrible to eat. Mm. There's a little creature in our in our uh, freshwater here in Ireland. It looks like a spider where it's actually sitting on the top of the water. I have never in my life seen, seen anything eat these particular little, little, little watermen on the top of the surface. And I've no idea why. They must taste really, really, really nasty. You know, that's probably a mechanism as well to make sure that you keep yourself safe.